Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice that we have this opportunity to give of our material possessions to the work of your kingdom's enterprise on this earth. We therefore pray that thou wilt accept these gifts and that thou wilt accept the love and thanksgiving of our hearts and that thou wilt direct us in the use of also our time and talents in a way that shall bring honor to thy name. We pray now that the Holy Spirit may speak to our hearts from the Holy Scriptures, a message that will help us to live in keeping with our Christian commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. I really don't have to tell you this, but I've changed my sermon this morning. The reason is that when we had decided that the senior highs were going to do this, at first they were going to take the service, and I would preach the sermon. So I worked on a, a sermon that had to do with uh, students. And my wife, who has veto power sometimes in certain matters, uh, I discussed this with her and she said, no, I think you better wait till the students get back to do this. Well, I had another sermon on the end of the year that I wanted to preach and she said, no, you'll be on the radio next Sunday, save that. So what you're getting is leftovers. <laughs> but I think it'll be interesting. Uh, the Alka-Seltzer Corporation has made millions of dollars with a commercial about blahs. The blahs happens to be a disease that people get right after an exciting event or a big meal, and then there's a, a leftover feeling that comes to them, a mild depression that sets in, and according to the Alka-Seltzer Corporation, if you dissolve two of their magic tablets in a glass of water and take it, your problems will be solved. Like most television commercials, it's a lie. It really doesn't work that way. Uh, but it's a good story, and it uh, helps to illustrate something of that uh, feeling of deflation that comes right after Christmas. You know, taking down the Christmas tree is less than a festive occasion. I've often watched as we put up the Christmas tree, the children are all interested in seeing the decorations that go on it. They haven't seen them for a year. And then the big moment comes when you plug in the lights and all the multicolored lights are on and they enjoy looking at it. But then later on, when you have to take the Christmas tree down, it's a rather depressing thing. Now, where did Christmas go, asked a little boy of his parents not too long ago. Where did Christmas go? Where did all that happy, generous feeling fade away to when December 26th and December 27th came? All of us put our hearts together and worked hard for a family that was in need the other day Maybe some of us would have done it on January the 25th or February the 25th or March the 25th, but somehow we found it a lot easier to get up momentum on December the 25th. But where did that feeling go? This set me to thinking. So I started looking into the scriptures and I read that the shepherds had to go back to their sheep. After they had gone into Bethlehem and they had seen the Christ child, after they had heard the anthem of the angels, after all of that excitement, they went back to the fields again. These shepherds did. And a while ago, Benny read to you from the second chapter of Matthew how that the wise men, after their long journey to find the Christ child, and after they had presented to them their gifts, they returned again to their kingdom. And I'm sure that the old people who figure into the Christmas story as well, Zacharias and Elizabeth, 
and old Simeon that these people too had to go back to their normal routine again after the excitement of that great occasion. And how does this speak to our hearts today? Well, first of all, let me say that the great meaning of Christmas is all wrapped up in that one word, Emmanuel, God with us. There's a delightful story that comes out of South Carolina about a, a Negro church and uh, a time of a great hurricane that swept through there. And all of these people gathered in the church to pray. And one of the brethren who could wax eloquent in prayer began to pray as loudly as he could, send us the spirit of the children of Israel, the children of Moses, the children of the promised land. Then he was followed by a man who prayed with more directness but a good and less oratory, but somewhat more sense, who made this prayer. Oh Lord, don't you send anybody. Please come yourself. This ain't no time for children. <laughs> well now, that sums it up pretty well. What happened on the first Christmas time is that God didn't send anyone else. He came himself in Jesus Christ. God incarnate in flesh in him. And that's why much of that good feeling which comes to us at Christmas time can be kept. Now all of that rushed, panicky feeling which has been promoted by the Chamber of Commerce and the Santa Claus clubs, we ought to feel depressed about that because we've overdone it. And so we uh, all resolved that next year we're going to start earlier on our Christmas cards and on finding gifts, but actually if we keep growing in proportion to what things are now in this big commercialization of Christmas, I suppose we'll have to start in July in order to get ready for it. But I hope that won't be the case. But the true meaning of Christmas, God with us, can be found in what uh, I just spoke of. God has come himself in Jesus Christ. Now let's think about these people just a moment. Let's think about the shepherds. First of all, these shepherds were the poorest class of people. They were the rude, illiterate country bumpkins. They would be people who could not read and probably could not write, could neither read nor write. They would be people who, uh, who would use terrible grammar. Uh, they would be the kind of people that we would think of if we thought about the poorest mountaineer family that we could think of and the way they expressed themselves. This would be much like these shepherds were. And yet God, God revealed himself to these simple people. I don't know what they were talking about that night when the angels came. I expect they were talking about the price of wool or how much money they could get for their sheep at the sheep market. Maybe deep in their minds, because all of those people had to have a great religious bent to them, they were thinking about God sometimes, but maybe not that night. At any rate, God discovered himself to them. He revealed himself to them. This is one of the mysteries of the grace of God. Why is it that some people just seem to stumble into the Christian faith? They really weren't looking for God at all, but all of a sudden there he is. But the great thing is that they know him and they respond to what he has revealed of himself to them. And this was the way with these shepherds. They responded. 
They remind me of the story that Jesus told, a little parable. He told about a farmer who was plowing one day, and the plowshare suddenly hit something in the field. And when the farmer looked down, he saw glittering coins of gold. And so that farmer gathered up some of that gold, and he ran as quickly as he could to the landlord that owned that land, and he bought that field because he found a hidden treasure. At some point before that, some person during some invasion maybe had thought that all of his treasure would be taken so he had hidden it in a field and then died without telling anyone where it was and then it was the good fortune of this man to stumble onto it and so he sold everything that he had. So this farmer sold everything that he had and bought that field because he wanted that great treasure. Well, Jesus said, finding God is just like that. One day you may just run into him right there, but will you have enough sense to sell all, to give yourself completely to him? That's one way. Then Jesus told another parable. He told about a merchant, a jeweler, a Jewish jeweler who traveled around everywhere looking for the best pearls that he could find. In his mind, he had a vision of the most beautiful pearl that he could think of. And one day he found it. And he sold everything else that he had and he bought that one pearl. Well, said Jesus, coming to know God is like that. The people who search for him with all of their hearts will one day find him. And if only they'll sell everything they have and take that pearl of great price, they will have found life's true meaning. Well, I think that that second searcher is like these wise men that Benny read us about a moment ago. They were astrologers, Gentiles, not Jews. They probably came from Persia, and it's doubtful if they made it there in 12 days. They came from some distance. We don't know that there were three. We simply know that there were gifts of frankincense and gold and myrrh, and so uh, tradition and legend have associated it with three kings. How many there were, we don't know. But they came a long distance on the basis of the fact that they were searching for one who was to be born into the world like unto no other person that had ever been born. Maybe these astrologers had read some of the Old Testament prophecies somehow. And when they saw a star in the sky that told them something wonderful was going to happen from God, they obeyed that star. They obeyed the light that God had given to them, and God gave them more light. This is a great rule of spiritual growth. If we obey the light and use the light that God gives us, he will increase that light. But if we do not use it, he will take it away. So they had to come from a great distance. At a time of the year when a journey would have been very unseasonable, and it would have been a good idea to put off the journey and not go. 
Sometimes there are people who have intellectual difficulties in embracing the great Christian message that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And yet if these people are true with all of their hearts, to use the light of the revelation that God has given to them, they can come to a saving experience with Jesus Christ. They can, can come to know him as God and Savior. And so these wise men had a further distance to come than did the shepherds. But when they got there, they brought more with them. All the shepherds had to bring was the love of their simple good hearts, and they gave that. The wise men brought that, but they brought expensive gifts as well. And when they got to Jerusalem where King Herod was, it must have been an impressive occasion. These were the type of people who would not have traveled just as three individuals, but probably with a retinue of servants. And when they hit a town like Jerusalem, they would be reckoned as foreign dignitaries visiting, and all Jerusalem would have been talking about it. And when they went to Herod to tell him they were searching for one who was to be born king of the Jews, Herod thought this would be a challenge to his own authority, and many a government has felt that since Herod, that Christ was a challenge to authority over an individual's life. And Herod was interested because of these impressive people that were searching and felt that this one who was to be born would be a threat to him. Then these wise men did an interesting thing. They went to Bethlehem in obedience to an Old Testament prophecy that had been made. They searched out some religious leaders and they asked them, where do your scriptures say that the Messiah is to be born? And they said he's to be born in Bethlehem, and they quoted Micah. No one would have thought of Christ being born in Bethlehem had they not really read their Bible, but these people had read their Bibles. Maybe one reason we don't know God's will day by day is that we neglect the reading of the Bible, or when we do read it, we do not read it with faith. Strange to say these religious leaders did not themselves go to Jerusalem, uh, go to Bethlehem, but these wise men did. Maybe that will be the case when Judgment Day comes. Maybe there will be a lot of religious people who have been spouting out things about religion who never really took Christ, as Lord of their own lives and hearts. But these people who came from a great distance inquired of them, where was he to be born? They said he's to be born in Bethlehem. And so these people made their way on to Bethlehem. It says here that when they came to the house where Mary and Joseph were, they saw this baby. So they were no longer in a barn or a stable, but in a house. They came to this place, and they offered their gifts. Think about this. These men had a long journey to make, but they made a grand discovery at the end of that journey, a discovery that unquestionably changed their lives. 
A discovery that God was speaking not only to Jews, but God was going to reach Gentiles as well through this one, through this Christ who was born. A lot of churches use this as a missionary text, telling us that we ought to go into all the world preaching the gospel, and that's true. But these searchers here didn't have a missionary who went to Persia looking for them. They came there to Bethlehem. They came to Jerusalem searching for Christ. Now, think about the discovery. Yesterday, December the 27th, was the anniversary of the birth of one of the greatest human beings who ever lived. Probably many of us are alive today because of that man's birth. And I doubt if anyone in this room really knows who that man was. He was a Frenchman by the name of Louis Pasteur. He was born on December the 27th, 1822. And the world into which Louis Pasteur was born was a world where there was great disease and pestilence and plague. In the cities in France where Louis Pasteur was born, epidemics of typhoid, epidemics of smallpox, epidemics of typhus and cholera would come and decimate entire cities of their population. If you heard a cry, mad dog, mad dog, you ran as fast as you could to get away from a foaming, growling pet because you knew that if that dog should bite you, you would die one of the worst deaths that a man is likely ever to experience. And that man, Louis Pasteur, born into that world, began to search, to search for an answer to this problem of disease. He began to think about all of these people who died from diphtheria and all of these people who died from typhoid. And he began to understand that there, were, that there was a whole world of infinitely small creatures that could work havoc in destruction. That these could be singled out and isolated and be dealt with. And Louis Pasteur went to work on that problem. Louis Pasteur died in the faith. He was a humble Christian. When the man literally died, he died holding his wife's hand and in the other hand, a crucifix. He was a Christian. And he is reckoned as one of the great deliverers of mankind from suffering and pain. Louis Pasteur. We're all indebted to him. But this one who was born in Bethlehem, whose birth we celebrated last Thursday, this one, this one came to deliver us from something that is worse than any disease that Pasteur delivered us from. He came to deliver us from that disease which can destroy our soul. He came to deliver us from sin. You would think a man a pure fool if he should be bitten by a mad dog and refuse to accept the treatment 
which Pasteur has made available to the human race to deliver him from a wretched death of agony. And yet how many people refuse, refuse to accept the deliverance which Jesus Christ has brought? And it's not an automatic deliverance, you have to accept it. His precious blood on a cross poured out. That atonement is only efficacious for you when you accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. If you refuse him, you're just foolish in the most extreme sense of the word. Nineteen and a half centuries ago, he died to redeem us. He came to deliver us. And for those who have found him, think of the blessing that comes. And think of the blessing that keeps us in this year that's coming up, a new decade, 1970. What about 1970 with Jesus Christ, having delivered us from our sins, walking with us and keeping us in the ways of righteousness and peace, leading us and guiding us? These are the promises that are made available to us. These can keep us from the blahs that come at Christmas time. There is a verse in the Psalms that says, If I had wings, I would fly away and be at rest. Some wonderful Christian has penned these words. If I had wings, then I would fly to where the sun shines in the sky. I'd leave behind the cold and rain, the doubt of fear, of grief and pain, if I had wings. If I had faith, I need not fly to meet with angels in the sky. For Christ will walk along life's way and hold my hand from day to day when I have faith. And so when you're taking the Christmas tree down and you feel depressed, remember the message is that God did not send somebody else. He came himself in Jesus Christ. The message of Christmas is God is with us. Have you really accepted this Christ? Let us stand in prayer. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of another year and even of another decade and are faced with 1970, we do not know what the future holds, but we bless thy name that we can know that thou dost hold the future, and that the future for us is just as bright as the promises that thou hast made are true. Help us, O God, toward that faith which having embraced thy Son as he is offered to us in the gospel, will by the Holy Spirit's gracious power live the life he desires us to live in the days that lie ahead. In his name we pray.